Here's something that I found a little bit surprising uh, the other day. I was looking back at my uh, records from my time here and I was surprised to see that apparently I have not preached specifically on the topic of money and generosity and that kind of thing for about three and a half years now. Uh, And that's surprising because the Bible actually has a lot to say about money. A lot to say about money. Um, Jesus has a lot to say about money. In fact, money is one of the things that Jesus talks about more than anything else. There are plenty of hot topics in our community these days that Jesus addresses. Sex, marriage, hell, uh, salvation even. But Jesus talks about money more than any of those things. So I guess... It's really important for us to realize that if you want to be a growing follower of Jesus, money's going to be a big deal for you. And the reason it's a big deal is because your attitude to money, uh, the things that you do with your finances, uh, the way that you spend and save and strive to get more money, all of that is a window on the condition of your heart. How you handle money provides a diagnosis on spiritual health. I don't know if you've thought about that before, but that's kind of the thing that Jesus is pointing to when he says, famously in the Sermon on the Mount, he says to us, do not store up treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And here comes the the bit that is the diagnostic bit. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you want to know what's going on in your heart, if you want to know the condition of your heart, Jesus says one of the things that you can do is look at where you're investing your treasure. Look at what you're doing with your money because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So money is going to be a big deal for anybody who wants to be a follower of Jesus, to be growing as a follower of Jesus. I do want to be very clear, though. I don't want you to get the wrong impression. Uh, The Bible is not against money. The Bible does not say it's a bad thing to be rich, nor does it say that it's a good thing to be poor. The Bible's not against money, but it does warn us to be very careful when it comes to money. In the Bible, money comes with a warning sign attached. Now, you might uh, find it easy to kind of Think in that space if you think about electricity. Electricity is a great thing. Electricity can be used to illuminate a city at night. But we also know that electricity can be a very dangerous thing, potentially deadly. We know that we have to be careful when you're working with electrical things. So the Bible is saying the same sort of thing about money. I want to read you, for example, just one of the warnings about money that comes in the scriptures. This is in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul writes, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. You see that the desire for money is a dangerous thing. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's a dangerous thing. When you feel that desire to get rich, The Bible says, watch out, be on your guard. The kind of language that's used there is like we are an animal on the hunt for food and we smell some fresh meat somewhere and we we go along and we take a nibble at it 
and then we taste a bit and snap, the, the trap catches us. We're in the poacher's snare. And that verse is saying money lays the trap and we very often take the bait. Now, money in itself is not a bad thing. It is a useful tool. It can be a very helpful servant. Don't let it be your master, Jesus says. You can't serve two masters. But if you are eager to chase after more and more money, uh, the Bible says, next verse in 2 Timothy 6 verse 10, says, watch out because that can be a kind of self-harm. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. So money's a big deal and the Bible says watch out. Examine yourselves because we humans, we have a tendency to be easily deceived when it comes to money. So here's what I want to do in the next few minutes. I want to cover three areas. Uh, Number one, I want to help you see ways in which you are most easily deceived. We're going to be talking about knowing our hearts. If, If money, how we handle money is a window on our hearts, we need to know our heart. So that's the first thing. Secondly, I want to remind you of God's grace. Because as you read through the Bible, it's God's grace that powers generosity. The kind of generosity God says is going to change the world, it's powered by grace. And then thirdly, and number three, just want to get practical and specific after we've looked at those two things. Talk about some real things that we can do. So number one, know your own heart. We live in a world, don't we, where uh, the popular wisdom of the age is that you should just follow your heart. You should listen to your heart. Your heart can't be wrong. Your heart knows the way. It knows, in fact, one of those quotes there, listen to your heart, it knows all things. Now, that, all that kind of stuff that's there on the screen, that, that's all well and good. It very, very much suits our individualistic Western culture. But I think we need to realise that even though people say that's true, most of the world doesn't believe that it's true and it's only in recent times that our part of the world has thought that way as well. Uh, If you come from a more traditional culture, from Africa or Asia or the Middle East, if you say, listen to your heart, your heart knows all things, people will think you're a fool. No, of course not. You listen to your family, you listen to your elders, they're the ones who have wisdom. Don't listen to your heart. And I think they're closer to the mark than perhaps our culture is. And the Bible would agree with that. See, that God tells me in the scriptures that I need to be careful about listening to my heart. I need to know my heart. And when I get to know my heart, I realize that my heart can deceive me. Um, very famous verse, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. Some of you probably know this. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? That's the question posed by Jeremiah. Who can understand it? The next verse, verse 10, Jeremiah says, well, it's the Lord who searches the heart. And so we need to listen to what God says about our hearts and we need to know our hearts. Because when it comes to money, there's a very good chance that we have got blind spots. If we're in a culture that's saying, just follow your heart, there's a good chance that we've got blind spots when it comes to money. Maybe the biggest blind spot that people like us, and I'm talking, you know, those of us who are here, relatively comfortable, middle-class, Epping Presbyterian types, 
maybe the biggest blind spot that we might have is not maybe some of the other ones you would think of, but it's this, that we are likely to have convinced ourselves that God approves of what I do with my money, that I've thought it through, that I've got an attitude that God has given a big green tick to, God approves of the sorts of things that I spend my money on, but he's especially impressed with the things that I've decided not to spend my money on. That's a blind spot for us. We, we need to beware of baptizing our own budgets. Beware of thinking that your approach to money is the godly approach. Because our hearts are deceitful. We know that from the scriptures. So let me give you an example. Um, Maybe you have decided that paying money for a Foxtel subscription is a frivolous misuse of money. And so you've decided that's something I'm not going to spend my money on. God wants me to do better things with my money. And you congratulate yourself on your restraint in not signing up to one of these things, even though you miss out on some really big sporting uh, things. And that favourite TV show... Uh, that goes only on Foxtel now and you have to wait two years to be able to see it. That's really annoying. But, but you're kind of congratulating yourself and saying, look, I'm doing the right thing. I'm standing up for what's true. I'm standing up for what's wise. And as you do that, you're also silently critical of those people you know who do have a Foxtel subscription because you're telling yourself, I can't believe how extravagant and wasteful they are. Do you see what happens there? Our hearts have a tendency to move towards self-righteousness and self-justification. And we easily fall into this trap of thinking that God likes what we do because we've thought about what God wants and we've made our decisions. And then we look down on people who choose to do things differently with their money. It puts us in real spiritual danger. It's that self-righteousness, that self-justification space. And Jesus told a parable about a man like that, didn't he? In Luke chapter 18, you probably know it. It's that parable about the Pharisee who stood praying, thanking God that he wasn't like other people. He wasn't like the robbers or the evildoers or the adulterers, those terrible tax collectors. His heart had deceived him into thinking that he was okay. He knew God's law and he was standing up for what God wants and therefore that meant he had God's approval. And he boasted, even the next verse, uh, verse 12 of Luke 18, he's boasting about how generous he is with his money. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. Look at me. I've got God's approval. Unlike all those other people, I'm glad I'm not like. You know how the parable ends, don't you? Jesus said about this man, he did not go home justified before God, even though he's boasting of how good he is. He may have been doing good stuff. There's no doubt that giving away a tenth of all you earn is a good thing. But his heart had deceived him. He was looking down on other people, boasting about how godly he was. He had this attitude of, I'm going to prove my worth to God. And because I'm doing well, then I have the place of judgment to stand over others. Uh, English author and pastor Graham Bainan has written a book recently called Money Counts and he says this in it I think he's he's right he writes we must not equate our personal financial decisions with godliness and use them as the yardstick by which to judge see 
our attitude to money in so many ways is a window on what's going on in our heart. That Pharisee who gave a tenth of all he earned, his heart was all about self-justification. He wanted to be able to point to how good he was. And that's a kind of self-righteousness that God hates. And that can be a problem for us as well. First thing, know your own heart. So let me ask a question then. What's captured your heart? When it comes to finances and the resources God's given you, what has captured your own heart? Is it a kind of self-righteousness? I'm doing really well in this area. Or is it thankfulness for God's grace? God, thank you for providing me with all I need and more. How can I bless the world? See, it's, it's God's grace and understanding of God's grace that softens our hearts and that then powers true gospel generosity. So that's the second idea that we're going to move on to now, that grace powers generosity. And we're going to look at that passage in 2 Corinthians 9 that Sam read for us earlier. 2 Corinthians 9 from verse 6 through to 15. Um, That passage describes the kind of cheerful generosity that God says he loves, that puts a smile on God's face. Uh, It's summed up really nicely in the first couple of verses that we read. So let's have a look at them from verse 6. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly, they're also going to reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. It's talking about, this is in the context of chapter 8 and 9, about taking up a collection to help the poor brothers and sisters in another part of the world, Christian brothers and sisters. So it's about giving uh, for uh, uh, money, not, not so much about farming. So whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Next verse, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. It puts a smile on his face. Now, the Bible is saying a couple of things here. Uh, First of all, it's saying don't be stingy when it comes to giving for the kingdom of God, giving to support those in need. The second thing it's saying is giving is not a matter of following a rule. It's not a set percentage or a set proportion or amount it's about being able to give freely um, by the motivations of your own heart verse 7 but when it comes to thinking of your heart what you've decided in your heart just to be sure that our heart doesn't lead us in the direction of saying well I'm going to be closed-fisted because I'm I need to hang on and make sure I've got enough for now and enough for these things and if I give money away maybe I'm not going to have enough Paul goes on to say this in the next verse, verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you. Notice how many times the word all turns up in this verse. God's able to make all grace abound to you in all, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every, same word, good work. Does that mean that if you trust God, you'll never be poor because you'll have all things, all that you need. No, it doesn't necessarily mean that. 
Christians can be wealthy, Christians can be poor, Christians can be anywhere along the spectrum. The point of this verse and the point of this section really is to say that selfishly holding on to what God is, has given you is like you're saying, I do not trust that God will look after me. By grabbing hold of things and keeping it for yourself, you're saying, I don't trust God. That's what this verse is getting at. In fact, because if you look at verse 11, because generosity brings glory to God, what God loves to do is to increase our opportunities to exercise generosity because it causes more glory to go to him. So do you ever find yourself, isn't it true that sometimes our attitude is like this? We say to ourselves, oh, look, I'd love to be able to give more. When I get more money, that's when I'll be able to give more. And we can use that as an excuse to not give. 2 Corinthians 9 drops that on its head. We're told about being generous on every occasion. Generosity that should flow from a a cheerful heart, even if it's small. It's not, remember that, that slogan that I'm using, it's not soft hearts give lots, it's soft hearts give hard. Do you see the difference? It's not about there needs to be more and more to reach a certain amount, but it's what is actually coming from your heart in terms of that generosity that's driven by grace, wanting to give because God's giving to you is overflowing up out of your heart. And that's kind of a theme that runs through 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. I think it's worthwhile, each of us, uh, you can do this for homework this week, take some time to just read carefully through chapter 8 and chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians following the, the argument, the line of thought that runs through there. And you'll see that in Paul's argument, and really all through the New Testament, what the Bible has to say about Christian, Christian generosity is this, that it's powered by grace, that it's shaped in the image of God's gracious giving to us in his own son. Generosity is shaped by the gospel. So the key verse, I think, in the whole argument is what Paul says in chapter 8, verse 9. If you want to know what your motivation for giving should be, the reason and the power to give, it's here in verse 9. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the generosity of the Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, in heaven had everything, yet for your sakes he became poor, gave it all up, went to the cross. Why? so that through his poverty, you might become rich, you might become heirs of the kingdom of God. A heart that loves that kind of grace, the grace of God to us in Christ, which of course, grace is the opposite of self-righteousness, isn't it? The self-justification fights against grace. It says, no, I can do it myself, but grace says, no, I I just I have to receive because I'm incapable. I'm so thankful for what God's done for me. A heart that loves grace, then, is going to be a heart that loves to give. Soft hearts are hearts that have been captured by this vision of God's loving grace, that he does not treat us as our sins deserve, but he pours out his forgiveness as a gift at great cost to himself. And it's those soft hearts that have been softened by the gospel, the grace of God, that says we've got nothing to boast in but everything to be thankful for. 
They're the ones that give hard. Just like Jesus gave hard, he gave everything for our sakes. Soft hearts give hard. Not lots, although in your circumstance it might mean lots. The key is soft hearts give hard. So, in our remaining few minutes, let's get practical and specific. What's this gospel-driven grace going to look like? Well, the answer to that is as numerous as there are ideas that you've got. Uh, Obviously, it's going to be different for everyone depending on your circumstances. Um, There are people in our church who have plenty, who are well provided for and have plenty of scope to give with enormous generosity in large quantities. There are also lots of people in our church who don't have very much at all who after, you know, providing food and clothing, it's even a struggle sometimes to pay the bills. And because it's not soft hearts give lots, but soft hearts give hard, I want you to know if you're in that situation, I'm not saying feel guilty that you don't give enough money. No, there's lots of opportunity to give hard in other ways, aren't there? In, in time, in talents, and that's a great blessing when people do that. But for most of us, we're probably not in either of those categories. We sit somewhere in the middle. And so I I want to encourage you to do this little exercise uh, during the week. Maybe you've done this before. Maybe you haven't done it for a while. Maybe you've never done this. Um, This is a really practical thing to do. Um, And our cue for getting practical comes straight from the passage. It's not just something that I've decided to tack on to the end. It's there in verse 7 of chapter 9, isn't it? Gospel generosity requires planning. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to do. So you need to decide in advance what you're going to give. Then you need to make a plan for how you're going to distribute that. And then you need to carry that plan out. And so what I'm, what, what I'm going to share with you is just a little, you know, simple budgeting, financial planning tool, but we're applying it to what the scriptures say here about how we're to give generously. So to give you an example, not wanting to kind of think of anyone in particular, let's use figures from the census uh, that have just come out, the 2016 census. We're going to pretend we've got a household that is smack bang in the middle on the average weekly household income of $1,438 a week. I'm going to convert that to um, a monthly figure though because I think that's how a lot of us tend to think. So that's $6,000. $231 a month. And this family, who have had their hearts softened by the gospel, want to set up a baseline for their giving, and they're thinking, well, let's start with 10%. So that means we've got to figure out how we're going to give $623, $620 roughly a month away to, to charity, to the work of the gospel, to all sorts of causes. So they figured out that sum. Now they have to figure out where to send it. So um, they decide, well, we we want to support the ministry of our local church. That's number one. Uh, Let's make that the biggest portion. So $400 a month set up to go to the church. Direct debit set up with the bank. They're done. Plan carried out. Means they've got some more money to think about. So they know the Bible says to give generously to the poor as well that if you withhold money from the poor, then you dishonor God. 
Someone from uh, at church recently was there to talk about the Ministry of Compassion Child Sponsorship, and so they say, hey, look, we could afford to sponsor two kids in Burkina Faso, $48 a month, that's um, $96 for the two kids per month, add that in, and then there's still some money left. So, well, there's some missionaries who we want to support. And so for $125 a month, that means they can give... Uh, this missionary, $1,500 a year. That's significant, isn't it? And they're up at $621 a month. It's about their 10%. And so they say, okay, that's going to be our baseline. That's what we're going to lock in place. That's what we've decided in advance to give. It's what verse uh, 7 is talking about. To, dis- to give what you've decided in your heart. And that's kind of what we do in our own household too. Uh, We have worked out what's generosity going to look for us. Well, it's going to look like we set a baseline where we've locked in giving to certain ministries and and people and things that we want to do. Uh, For us, we kind of, it moves around a bit, but it's it's somewhere in that 10 to 15% kind of category of ministries and things we've got locked in place, direct debits there so that the money comes out close to payday so that we're not tempted to spend it on other things. And then the key thing, I think, for us is once that's locked in place, that gives you freedom to then give more than that if for some reason you, uh, you have some more income comes in for, for whatever reason or if you hear about something and you just think, oh, I'm moved by God to be generous to give to that as well. You know that you've got your, your base locked in place and then you can give more if you need to. That's what planned giving looks like. But that's the first thing in our specific um, practical examples. I want to give you one more, or a couple more actually, but the next one I want to talk about, I want to talk especially to parents of children and teenagers here. Um, some of you may have heard me talk about this before, but I, mums and dads, please make sure that you are teaching your children about money and about generosity. Talk to them about how you decide what you're going to give away. I mean, the Bible talks about kind of doing it in secret, but don't let it be so secret that there's no, there's no witness of parent to children there. Talk to your kids about why it's important to you. You can give them pocket money. So this is what we did when our kids were younger to train them. Give them pocket money and say, you get to spend this on whatever you want, but you need to choose each week some money that you're going to save, some that you're going to spend, and some that you're going to give away. And we gave them three money boxes each. My, um, our, our kids have grandparents now who are doing a similar thing that the kids are teenagers. Each year, uh, each of the kids in their high school years, receives an envelope that's got inside two $50 notes. And they can use that money however they want, but there's one condition. They need to give at least $50 of it away to some charity. And when they do that, then they're they're free. They can choose whatever charity they want. They get to do the verse 7 thing of decide in your own heart what you're going to give it to. And then they're blessed with that extra $50 that they can give. If you're a grandparent, maybe you might want to think about doing something like that. But here's the thing. Teach your children about money. Gospel approach to money. Because if you don't, the world will. And it's going to teach them something completely different. Two more things briefly on that practical and specific end. 
Um, I want to ask you to think about the way that you can use the resources you have, including your time, your treasure, your money, and your talents, um, in a slightly public and visible way to back up what you say you believe about God. And the reason I say that is what's written in verse 13 of 2 Corinthians 9. See, I think sometimes we get stuck so much in, in what Jesus says about not boasting about what we do with our money in the Sermon on the Mount, that we miss verses like this that say, actually, there is a public display of generosity going on here that brings praise to God because people can see that what, what Christian believers are doing matches up with their confession of the gospel in generosity. And you can think about ways to do that in your own life. Not necessarily with money, it might be with time. So, praise God, there are people in our congregation who are taking annual leave from work in order to tell kids the gospel at Holiday Club. There are people in our church who do the same um, for uh, beach missions or uh, to go on short-term overseas missions and things. But there are lots of ways you can think of where you can be a little bit public in your generosity because it brings praise to God. It might be one of those things that uh, prompts people to ask us to give the reason for the hope that we have. Christianity is not something that is so private that no one should ever know how our lives are affected by it. Last thing, I want to give you a test that you can use. Uh, A little test that you can use to see about the condition of your heart. Has my heart been softened by the gospel so that I now give hard? Because the generosity of Jesus is our model, then a set figure like 10% is not really the issue. It's about whether you're giving out of a generous heart. And the test is to ask whether your generosity actually costs you anything. Now, of course, it costs money, but does it cost you anything? Is there sacrifice involved? Are you giving hard or are you just giving an amount? If you're not giving hard, why why not? This is the analysis that you should be doing, testing your own heart. What does it say about the state of your own heart? I want to share with you a couple of quotes as I finish up. Uh, First of all, from C.S. Lewis, from his book, Mere Christianity, where he talks about applying this, this kind of test to your heart. He writes, the only safe rule as in it's not 10% or something like that, the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we're probably giving away too little. Then he says, if our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they're too small. There ought to be things that we should like to do but cannot do because our charitable expenditure, our giving, excludes them. It's a good test. And so another quote to finish up, this time from God's Word. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. Let's pray.
Our Father, as we finish up our time together tonight, gathered here as your people, we want to remember that we're people who sit under the authority of your word and people who are being transformed by the gospel of your grace. We acknowledge, Heavenly Father, that sometimes our hearts can deceive us and we can be patting ourselves on the back and acting in a self-righteous kind of way that actually displeases you. Father, soften our hearts by the gospel of your grace so that we might be concerned to become more and more like the Lord Jesus, to use what you've given us to bless others, to see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so help us not just to think great idea, but to actually be really practical and specific in our own lives as we seek to live as people who've been shaped by the gospel. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.